So this week, as you might be aware, was the funeral of Congressman John Lewis, kind of a titan in the American Civil Rights Movement. From the time he was just a young guy, incredibly involved, very much putting his life on the line, literally, in many ways. Some of you, I'm sure, have seen the footage. Some of you will even remember having lived through the famous March in Selma, crowd going over the George Pettus Bridge, attacked by police dogs and fire hoses. That happened three months before I was born. And I got a lot of white hair now, so a lot of waters flowed under that bridge since then. But I've noticed in social media, mostly social media, not so much in print, and it's not just this event, but things like this. It seems to sort of be in our modern times. Whenever something really dramatic comes up and it seems like we got to do something about this, what are we going to do? So as people were giving their tributes to John Lewis and everything that he stood for, every now and then you'd see a comment, oftentimes from a Christian or even a Catholic commentator, you know, I'm tired of praying about this. We pray about this stuff all the time. We say we should pray. What are we going to do? What are we going to do about it? God doesn't want us to sit around and pray. He wants us to do something. And on the one hand, I can understand where that feeling comes from. But on the other hand, I think we have to let a phrase like that, a call to action like that, just kind of make us take a step back and say, what is it that we're really asking for? I never heard that kind of a statement come out of the mouth of John Lewis himself. And this is the guy who said, make good trouble, right? So he knew what it meant to get active and get involved. But lately you're hearing that refrain, that other refrain, I'm tired of praying, what are we going to do? And if we allow those two things to begin to separate or a little bit of a wedge to grow in, then literally God help us all. Literally, God help us all. And I can see maybe where that kind of a sentiment comes in in light of what we heard in our second reading today, beautifully proclaimed. There's Paul. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing, nothing. You can imagine him saying, nothing can separate us, neither death nor struggles nor getting attacked as we go over the George Pettus Bridge. And I can imagine someone hearing that and saying, well, okay, that sounds very nice. But don't tell me about never being separated from the love of Christ when this happens or that happens, or I keep praying and once again, I got to deal with this. And so it can almost sound like Paul's a little bit on the naive side, maybe. Where does he get off saying that? He never had to cross the George Pettus Bridge with German shepherds and fire hoses aimed at him. What's really interesting, because I don't think our lector today was trying to pull a fast one on us when she read Romans 8, verse 35, and then 37 through 39. 35, and then 37 through 39. Wait, what happened to verse 36? Nice try, but we caught you. What is so insidious about Romans chapter 8, verse 36? Is it some COVID-inducing verse that we should all stay away from? Well, between Paul saying, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Neither this nor that. He quotes a psalm, just one line from a psalm. 
And here's the psalm. For your sake we are being slain all the day. We are looked upon as sheep to be slaughtered. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Because you know, God, we are being treated like sheep getting slaughtered. And that psalm, if you look it up, Psalm 44, it's all about, God, where are you? We are being so faithful to your covenant. We are trying so hard to do what you asked us to do, yet we're being slain like sheep for the slaughter. Change the language a little bit, and you can almost imagine it coming forth in our own times. God, don't you care? Don't you know what's going on? That's what Paul nestled in between. What can separate us from the love of Christ? That's his whole point. His whole point is, I know lots of times it feels like you're separated from the love of Christ. I know lots of times that love of Christ that I'm spouting off about, it doesn't necessarily hold the violent hand back. It doesn't turn the snarling German shepherds into puppies. It doesn't turn the fire hose into a gentle stream. And yet Paul still stubbornly says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And I think if John Lewis were here, he could say much better than I ever could that the love of Christ is not a consolation prize. It's not just something that we kind of throw around or toss into a Hallmark card knit on a pincushion. The love of Christ is transformative. But the lie, the lie that wants to creep in is that, wait a minute, if the violence is still there, then the love of Christ can't be there. If the hatred is still there, the love of Christ can't be there. Or if it is, it's ineffective and it's not doing anything. But I don't think anyone can say what happened in 1965 was ineffective. I don't think anyone can say, and you fill in the blank, whatever cause, whatever event you want to name throughout all of history, when somebody tried to live like Christ in the face of hatred or violence, where do we get off saying, yeah, well, the love of Christ wasn't there. The love of Christ didn't show up until this law was passed or that person stopped or they overcame. The love of Christ is not a consolation prize, nor is it impotent, and it does nothing. But we're never going to know that unless we can live like Paul, because Paul never stopped. He said what he said, and then he continued to live as if it were true, because he knew in his heart of hearts that to receive the love of Christ does make a difference. It's a whole other way of looking at the world. Sometimes it's the only foundation we have to stand on in the face of what otherwise could lead to despair or cynicism or sarcasm. And that's what you see a lot of times in the hurt statements behind things like, I'm tired of praying. And as I said, they're not mutually exclusive. But when you go into action, are you led by rage and bitterness or are you led by the love of Christ? Easier said than done, right? in this peaceful, beautiful, air-conditioned place, easier said than done, I get it. But there are people in this room who are dealing with some really tough things. We'll never know it because we often don't wear that on our sleeves and these masks don't help. But it's good that we're wearing them and keep them on. So just an invitation maybe as we move into this 18th week of ordinary time, 
with brutal honesty, just to kind of do a gut check and say, all right, I know I have the love of Christ. We talk about it, we sing about it, come to the table of plenty. But when I'm really facing that difficult thing, when I'm facing that relationship that seems to be founded on hatred, not love, when I'm struggling with this thing in my society or my community, can I honestly say that the love of Christ is a resource for me? Not simply, oh God, please change this if you can, but knowing that even if in my lifetime that difficult situation doesn't transform into the thing I'd like it to look like, that that doesn't mean the love of Christ is just a consolation prize, kind of sitting there waiting to be activated. It's a lot easier said than done. But I really wish in this case that if the church does ever revise its lectionary, and it does happen from time to time, but when they get around to the 18th Sunday of ordinary time, cycle A, they just use a little bit extra ink and insert Romans 8, verse 36. Paul was not naive and he wasn't a fool. The love of Christ really matters.